Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Before I was a pastor, I had my share of odd jobs. I've worked at a day camp, a computer lab, Home Depot, a library. But one of the strangest, was being a Yale University bartender. (laughs) It sounds cooler than it was. What it meant was going to fancy events, the kind where the university was providing hors d'oeuvres and alcohol, dressing in a white button-up shirt, black pants, a bow tie, and a blue apron, and pouring wine and beer that I knew nothing about and could not afford, But at least it was an easy job. Now, there is something about the uniform of a server. It was like wearing a disguise. I worked events that my friends were attending. They would come up to me, ask for what they would like, and often wouldn't realize it was me until I handed them their drink and said their name. And then there would be this flustered moment of, oh, Sarah, it's you, I didn't realize. The white shirt, the apron, it 
was like an invisibility cloak, a reminder that we don't always see people as people. Sometimes they fade into the scenery. Like a person trying to spray you with a perfume sample at the mall, or a cashier at a grocery store, or anyone trying to hand out a pamphlet in a city. People we don't want to engage with, or people we forget to engage with, because we're going about our busy days and we don't want to be bothered. In our gospel this morning, Jesus tells the crowd a parable about a rich man that he doesn't name and a poor man named Lazarus. Let's remind ourselves who Jesus is speaking to, who is in this crowd that's gathered. Jesus and the disciples were eating with tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees and the scribes were upset with this. When they question what he is doing, Jesus tells several parables about the lost being found, the prodigal returning, the debtors being forgiven. He is still speaking to this crowd. His disciples, the Pharisees and the scribes, the tax collectors and the sinners. Jesus tells everyone gathered this story. Now as a quick disclaimer, we shouldn't read this as a story of the afterlife. Parables are teaching tools, and that's not what this one is about. As pastors Rob McCoy and Eric Fissler said, that would be like reading the tortoise and the hare fable and asking what kind of running shoes the tortoise was wearing. (laughs) At that point, you're missing it because it's not a story about a race. This isn't a story about the afterlife. It's about right now life. And this time, the rich were considered spiritually good, and the poor were considered sinful. If you were wealthy, then that must mean that you were following God's law, doing the right things, that God was smiling on you and rewarding you for your goodness. If you were poor or sick, then surely you've done something wrong. You were being punished for your sinfulness. But lucky for you, the wealthy in their superior virtue would give alms to the poor, ensuring that you would still have enough to eat. Jesus tells a story that questions this worldview. And even though it's just a story, the rich man and Lazarus feel real. We can see this scenario happening. We can see the poor man Lazarus hurt and in need sitting at the rich man's gate, knowing that this person has the resources to help him. We can see the rich man barely noticing Lazarus as he steps over him each day. Lazarus at this point nearly invisible, part of the scenery. Someone the rich man doesn't want to help and chooses not to see. But in death, the circumstances have changed. Now it's the rich man, in his own need, sees Lazarus. He's desperate for help, desperate for a drink of water. And here's how we know that the rich man hasn't changed, 
hasn't learned his lesson despite his current position. Though he calls out to Father Abraham and can see that Lazarus resides with him, lifted up and favored, he still sees Lazarus as beneath him, as someone who should serve him. Tell Lazarus to dip his fingers in cool water and cool my tongue. He can call Abraham father, but he cannot bring himself to see Lazarus as a brother. Lazarus can't help him because of the chasm between them. And this isn't the chasm between heaven and hell. It's really not a depiction of the afterlife. This chasm is one of the rich man's own making. There wouldn't be a chasm if the rich man had seen Lazarus. If he was a good man and a virtuous man, as the rich were assumed to be, then every day this man in purple clothes and fine linens would have seen his brother human in pain and in need. And instead of letting the dogs in their compassion lick his wounds, the man would have given Lazarus money to eat, or maybe the leftovers from a big feast, or even invited him in for a meal and a place to stay. For the crowd gathered, the story is paradigm-shifting because it questions this rich-poor divide. If the rich are rich because they are good, if they are good and give to the poor, then why are they still poor? This parable is meant partly as a warning to the wealthy. Wake up, look around, don't get lazy. There are people who need you. But it's also good news to the poor. You're not bad. You're not sinful. You are loved. God knows you by name. Wealth is not a sign of God's love. You are worth more than the stuff you have or haven't accumulated. We might not have quite the same worldview these days. There are plenty of rich elite that are criticized in the media for not being morally good. But there is still a chasm between rich and poor. In The Soul of Money, Lynn Twist writes, Being poor cuts you off from things. Being rich cuts you off from people. When you don't have a lot, you huddle together with other people. You might have a roommate or live in an apartment building, take the bus. When you need a sweater for your child, there's a good chance that your neighbor has one that her girl just grew out of. When you've run out of quarters for laundry, someone else at the laundromat might have a few to share. When you need that proverbial cup of sugar, there are many doors in close proximity that you can knock on. It's not a life with many things, but there tends to be a whole lot of community. The rich seem to have it easier. When you're rich, you can be more self-sufficient. You can buy what you need. Have a big house with many rooms, some you don't even use every day. 
You have a card to get to and from work on your schedule whenever you want. But it's a lot of energy to protect all of that. Fences, security systems, finding a good neighborhood, wanting land and a quiet street. If you're relying on your wealth for everything you need, then you start to distrust people more and more, see them as potential threats. Being poor cuts you off from things. Being rich can cut you off from people. If the rich man had seen Lazarus as a person, they would have both had a better life. They would have both been richer for knowing one another. So this chasm, what do we do about it? What is the good news in this gospel lesson? I think the good news is in the crowd, in the people who are gathered around Jesus. He is preaching to the tax collectors and the sinners and also to the sick and the poor and the Pharisees and the scribes. They are all brought together in this teaching. Each one of them loved. Each one of them being fed and filled. Jesus bridges every chasm. His words are not much different from the prophets who came before him. They too spoke about ministering to those in need in service to God. But we weren't able to do it on our own, to will ourselves into being good. So Jesus comes, bridging every chasm, the gap between God and humanity, the divide between rich and poor, the expanse between Jewish and Gentile, all made one. In all of the places and in all of the ways that the world divides us, or we try to divide ourselves, putting up walls and fences, claiming teams and political parties, Jesus breaks down those walls, fills in those spaces, knitting us together and making us one, claiming us all as God's beloved. We worship as a crowd, as varied people brought together. The doors are wide open. There's no fence or gate that keeps people out. We gather knowing that we are loved and learning how to love as fully as Jesus to not just see our neighbors, but become servants to our neighbors, to serve one another as Jesus took on the role of servant. And when we need a reminder of who we are, of who we follow, of what we are called to do, then we come to God's table with our hands outstretched as beggars, knowing that we are in need, that we must be filled. And Jesus, who bridges every chasm, who is strength in our weakness, gives of himself to fill our hearts once again. 
making us holy and whole. Amen.